have a guess what you think the average engagement rate on social media is. Somebody puts a post up, the percentage of people that will like or comment or share that post. What do you think the average might be across the board? 0.1%. So what that tells us is even though people are spending all their time on social media, like there's 2,600 swipes and taps a day, that not many businesses are doing a very good job of engaging people on the platform. So there is a huge opportunity, just not many businesses taking advantage of it. So like you've heard social media marketers say, well, if you're not on social media, you're dead in the water. And then, yeah, that's true. I agree with that. But there's a lot of people who are on social media who will also be dead in the water because they're not engaging their audience. Just because you're on there doesn't mean that you're earning, earning attention. You could just be interrupting people. And so most people stick their head in the sand, and especially if they've got the vanity metrics being met, right? This is, I don't know if this is from Bondi Beach, uh, protesting against climate change. 400 people stuck their head in the sand. Anyway, I thought it reminded me of what's going on on social media. And so, like, if you've got 20,000 Facebook followers and you're getting likes every post you get and you're having coffees with all these people but you're not turning it into return on investment, so, somewhere along the line, you can, you can develop a confirmation bias and you're like, well, you know, I'm... You know, I'm good at social media. No, no, you don't know what I'm talking about. Like vanity metrics are there. I've got so more followers than you. What, what, what can you teach me? And it's not really about followers. And it's not necessarily about return on investment either. Um, but I do think that it's a good metric to measure compared to like likes or followers or think return on investment is actually a measure of value, isn't it? So this is basically why people are getting it wrong. Okay? Because we are naturally selfish and we're thinking about what's in it for me. Like nine times out of 10, when somebody asks me to look at their social media profiles and tell them why it's not working for them, it's because it's all about them. You know, if they're a real estate agent, for example, it's like a property listing, property listing, we've got a new team member. Here, here we are at Friday Drinks. It's all about them. And it's like one or two likes on every post. And then the real estate agent who's like sponsoring the local footy team, who's like talking about what's going on in the community, who's like, you know, sponsoring a prize for the local primary school, I don't know, doing things in the local community is getting lots of engagement because it's not about them. They're actually thinking about how to add value to the local area. And I'm going to go more into this shortly. Um, <laughs> so like automation, people always say to me when like they're signing up to LinkedIn marketing plans, they're like, oh, you know, can't we just automate all this? Well, how can you like genuinely like be adding value and building relationships if it's automated? Because <laughs> we just want it all the easy way. This, is a, this leads me to the next point, which we're very impatient. It's counterintuitive because we have enough time to do it over and over and over again, but we don't have enough time to do it right the first time. Because if you're building relationships with, with people, it's, you can't expect them to you know, jump out of the computer and throw their credit cards down in front of you. Has anybody heard of Gary Vaynerchuk? Gary V, any chance? A few of you might have. He wrote a book called Jab, 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 Right Hook. And the analogy is the jabs are basically adding value and then the right hook is a call to action. <coughs> and I'm sure he'd probably agree with me now because that was written like a while ago that it's, it's more like jab, 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 right hook now. You have to be adding so much value. In fact, I, I very rarely do the call to action at all. I find that if I add enough value, people will just come to, to me and I get the private messages. I um, was generating leads for clients on LinkedIn before anyone could post content other than like Richard Branson, Tony Robbins and 200 people who could write articles. And so I was already making a lot of like good revenue out of LinkedIn from a social selling perspective. Um, and then I started posting content 
And it took about two years before I saw any traction whatsoever. I was just like, I've got to do this. I'm a LinkedIn marketer, you know, I've got to post like content. I got like a little bit better at it. Um, and then I started to notice the competition disappeared and I got like into this blue ocean um, and I could put my prices up and like people came to me. I didn't have to do, you know, do any marketing. There's actually um, what they call thought leadership. And I thought, how the hell am I gonna offer this to my clients? Cause we're already get, getting them a return on investment with direct response, but this is so much better. You know, people are coming to us and like, we can charge premium pricing and there's no competition. We have developed a, a system to do that. And I'm gonna show you how, exactly how we have done it because you can do it as well but before we go into any hacks or strategies we've got to make a couple of commitments because it's not going to work otherwise we've just talked about what the problem is people are impatient and people are selfish and so it makes sense that before we do anything we're going to have to decide and commit to be patient and to not be selfish <laughs> in order for any of this to work because it's the mindset behind the way that you look at these strategies that makes a difference if you add enough value over time, I promise you, you will nail social media. That's the way it works. You just have to make sure that you're, you've got enough empathy to work out if you're adding value to them, the audience, not just you think you're adding value. I think that people um, sit in a room like this with their work colleagues, and they maybe got the whiteboard out, and they go, okay, what's our content marketing plan? Okay, we'll do these verticals, we'll write it about this. Da, 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 da. And they, they decide in a room without the audience there. They don't ask the audience what they want. They don't ask them what stories they want, what problems they have, what frustrations they have. And so a lot of big companies, um, I won't mention any names, but a lot of big companies like, get this completely wrong and invest a, a huge amount of money in something that they're interested in and the audience isn't. So like, we could easily just call up five of our best clients this afternoon and say, hey, by the way, if, we, if I started posting three videos a week, like, what, what would help you in your professional life? Like, what would be beneficial to you? What ideas have you got? <clears throat> I think it's a much better way to do it. Two reasons why people buy from you. There's only two reasons, really. Um, attention and trust. So in the past, marketers have had a, done a really good job of actually capturing attention by interrupting, pe interrupting people. And if you interrupt enough people, you can dominate the market. The problem now is if you use interruption marketing, you rely on it because you don't hold on to the attention. You capture it and it leaves. You capture more and you convert some along the way. But if you build trust with that attention, every time you get more attention, you're building. And before you know it, you actually have a captive audience that expect to hear from you, that want to hear from you. It's permission marketing. They, you've earned their permission. You're relevant enough. There's different types of attention, not all attention is worth the same. Like if you bought 20,000 followers on Instagram and they don't, they don't know you from a bar of soap, it's worthless, right? That's one extreme, right? On LinkedIn, if you get attention from somebody in your existing network that already knows who you are, that's in your target audience, it's high value attention. In terms of like the digital trust rankings, and this is for business to business, LinkedIn has a score of 70 and Facebook has a score of 32, the next one on the list. So if people trust the content on LinkedIn twice as much as they do on Facebook, that means if you have 20,000 followers on Facebook and only 10,000 followers on LinkedIn, LinkedIn is probably where the value is. Because people say LinkedIn advertising is expensive, right? But if people trust the content twice as much, then I would argue that it's twice as valuable. Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat, 
And then um, YouTube's even lower, which is interesting. I mean, YouTube's not a social media site per se. I do like YouTube because people watch long form content on there and it's a search engine. If you know somebody's got the problem that you, your business solves, they want to buy. They do want to buy from you. They just don't want someone to sell to them. So if you start thinking about helping people buy rather than selling to them, you'll actually soon realize that you actually need to find out if they've got the problem first before you start selling. So most of the LinkedIn messages in your inbox that you get after somebody connects with you, they haven't worked out whether you've got the problem yet. They've just started selling to you, haven't they? So they've devalued their brand because they're like, well, we're just going to sell to anyone whether they've got the problem or not. They've ruined the whole mere exposure effect because they've pissed a lot of people off. You know, so what would make more sense, there's nothing wrong with messaging people after you connect with them, but you just say, hey, I've noticed that you're in this industry. That's the industry that I like to work in. I'd love to have a chat to find out more about your business. See if there's a way that I can add value. And then you just ask them questions. Tell you if they've got the problem or not. If they haven't, that's totally cool. But if they have, it's a perfect client. And that's, you've got permission then to sell to them. Recency is not as important as relevancy. This is the first thing I wanna say. So relevancy is the most important thing. You wanna make sure your content is relevant to your target audience. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of content creators that, that, um, that uh, like get stuck on the vanity metrics and they end up catering for this audience which actually isn't the clients that buy from them. So you gotta be really careful about that. Like it's much more valuable to have less engagement, less followers and have the ideal types of clients really comes down to the value of your network. A lot of people, when they go on LinkedIn, because they don't know what they're doing, like they, the first thing they do is they go, oh look, I've got 20 connection requests. I'll accept that, accept that, accept, maybe they'll reject a couple, but they're being reactive. You know, they're the ones getting sent the connection requests. They're not being proactive and going, well, you know, I target dentists in Melbourne, so I'm gonna send 200 connection requests to dentists in Melbourne. Then you've got a really captive audience because you've decided who's in it. On Instagram, you can't decide who follows you. You just got to wait and see if they press follow, they press follow. But on LinkedIn, you can say, hey, I'd love to connect with you. They connect with you, they're in your audience. And I think that's why it's so powerful, but most people are reactive, they're not proactive. And they do the same thing with the content. They don't plan it. They just post it on the day. So of course it's about them, because they haven't even thought about, like, put enough thought into it to do it when it's most convenient and what the topic of the audience wants. If you're reactive, you're not focused, you're, you procrastinate, it's, it's extremely inefficient. So you have to have a content marketing schedule, just a calendar and have you know, what the content is that you're gonna deliver. And the key to delivering what the audience wants is then looking at which ones did well, which ones got the most engagement and then using that to create more relevant content. That's why Gary Vaynerchuk's extremely good at what he does is because he looks at the community engagement and he uses those insights to create more content. He talks a lot about like things like self-awareness and not giving a, what people think and stuff like that. He never ever planned any of that in himself. Like that just came out of the community insights and he started creating more content like that. And that's why he's become so popular. And so like you get to a point where you like got to create a lot of videos, right? A lot of content. Like I post five times a day. I'm not suggesting that you should do that. That's a lot. Like I'm thinking, you know, LinkedIn marketer, it's more important that you're consistent I think three or four times a week is enough for you to be at the top of the newsfeed with your target audience. It is uh, at this stage, but that's still like it still has to be valuable content. It's still a lot of content to produce, especially if you like if you can't if you're going to sit down every day and try to create a video, 
you're just going to go around in circles and it, it's not going to work. You need a strategy to create content on scale. So this is something which I've developed called, the, well, I, I, I based it on Gary Vaynerchuk's content model. So what he does is he will do like um, a long form piece of content, whether it's a podcast interview or like a keynote, and his team will video record it. And then they'll use that video to create like 40 short videos with subtitles and the headline and everything. And then his copywriting team will use that to create four or five articles. And then his images team will create like 10 Instagram posts from that content. And so all of a sudden he's got like 60, 70 pieces of content just from one filming of a keynote. Obviously he's got a team that is doing that for him and stuff. And he's posting like 50, 60 times a day, right? So we could do exactly the same thing and it would last us three months, four months, you know? Same thing. So the way the content pyramid works is you create what you call pillar content. With my clients, I sit down and I interview them for an hour. It's really easy because I just ask them the questions that I know will get engagement. And then you create the micro content and then you turn it into other forms of content other than video, so images as well. Because people think that they don't have to, um, that they can't repeat themselves on social media. It's actually the opposite. You want to repeat yourself. You want to repeat the messages that work. People's attention spans too short. We need to repeat things. Je Gemma, do you mind closing the door for me? And then schedule and distribute. So if you schedule it in the content calendar, then you force yourself to be consistent. And by being consistent, you give the audience a, they know what to expect then. Because if somebody follows you because you post on Mondays and that's when they like to consume content and you start posting on Tuesday, you're gonna have to find new attention again. I'm being quite um, granular, but like on the scheme of things, like if you start giving people what they didn't sign up for, they're gonna unfollow you probably. And you have to find new attention. People don't like surprises. I don't know if you, any of you notice this. On the whole, if people say they like surprises, they're generally lying, they like good surprises. So this is really important. Monitor community insights. So look at what people are engaging with, what people are like talking about. When you do question and answers, for example, like I did this hashtag ask Nat thing, and someone would ask me like, oh, you know, what book do you recommend? And so my, the start of the post would say, what book do I recommend? Here's my answer, like, whatever, I'll write the answer. So what book do I recommend? Who's that about? It's about me, isn't it? So if I change the language just a little bit and say, what books do you recommend? Here's my answer is it forces people or it makes people engage all of a sudden i've got all these people giving me their book recommendations in the comments because i made it about them instead of about me even though i'm sharing my thoughts as well i'm giving them a reason to buy it. i'm inviting them to join the conversation and then what when they comment a lot of people want to jump in and just they'll tell, say their book and they're like oh yeah that's good but like what about this and sort of want to share their views what you want to do is acknowledge what the person has said like i can't believe how many people who don't have like more than a few hundred followers on their social media channels and they've got like two comments on their last post and nobody's replied to them. I'm like, whoa, those people that have bothered to like read your content, consume your content, comment. That's the most important part of your social media strategy because that's those people were starting to build a conversation with you, which leads to a relationship. That's where you need to start and then you build from there. And if you focus on the people that the, that are consuming your content and engaging with it, they'll continue to engage with it because they'll feel comfortable and then other people will see that they're engaging with it and they'll feel comfortable to engage as well. And before you know it, you'll have this community of all these people that are comfortable to, you know, engaging with you because they know that you'll acknowledge them. You know, 
you don't always have to agree with them, but if you're gonna disagree with them, acknowledge the fact that they took the time to share their thoughts with you first. You know, you're always gonna get some people that you're gonna need to block or whatever, but um, that's all part of it. In fact, when I did interview Grant Cardone, the most valuable piece of um, advice that he gave me was, um, I said, Grant, come on, like, I'm at, like I've got this, I'm at this level, like I'm getting all these results, what do I need to do? And he said, dude, you need to have a bigger opinion on things. He goes, you need to find people to interview that you disagree with. He's like, you need to find some haters. That's what he said, basically. And Grant's got a lot of haters, like, but they generate a lot of engagement, right? Because somebody who's antisocial is three times more likely to comment and reply than somebody who's not. So I'm not suggesting like have a strategy to go out and find haters at all, but I'm just saying like conflict is actually quite good. Like it's more of an interesting conversation than everyone just going, yeah, I agree, that's great. So don't be afraid to push the envelope a little bit and you know, to disagree on things. It makes the conversation a lot more interesting. Funny, I actually appreciate it when people share their like honest opinion on my content and disagree with me. And I'll be like, thanks, thanks for your comment, that was awesome. And then they'll private message me and go, oh, I'm really sorry, man, I didn't really upset you. But I think it's great. It would be an extremely boring world if we all agreed with each other all the time. Once you've created insight-driven content from your pillar content again, so you're actually rehashing a lot of the stuff, like you just different, the video can start somewhere different or whatever. The caption can be different. By the way, on LinkedIn, the caption is quite important. You know, on Instagram, you'll see the image first. The image is quite important. Like the image will capture your attention, then you might read the caption. Whereas on LinkedIn, it's the other way around. So the caption's at the top. And so the caption has to be good for somebody to watch the video. It has to build intrigue. Yeah, intrigue is really important. And if the caption's good enough that somebody watches the video, on average, after 10 seconds, 50% of people watching are not watching anymore. After 10 seconds, that's an average. After a minute, it's 80% of people, on average, gone. Most videos are crap, though. So like, you, do, you just have to be mindful of it and make sure that when you look at it, what, is there any value in the top first 10 seconds? Because what most people tend to do is they're like, introduce it, build up to it, there's some value, there's some more value, some more value, and there's a conclusion, which is like a general little storytelling format, I guess, if you read a book. What you want to do is do the opposite on social media. You put the value right at the front, and then you can, you know, back it up or whatever. Put the hook up the front. That's the only way people will actually watch the content. It sounds really competitive, but you just got to keep in mind that 95% of people are doing a really terrible job at this. And then refine and repeat. So next time you do a keynote or an interview, the questions and content will be more tailored towards the audience. And so it'll just keep improving every time you go through this process. With our clients, we do this process every four months. So one interview is enough content for four months. And it doesn't have to be, you can interview someone else. Like so with Grant Cardone, that's the same thing. Um, this is Jules Lund from the Tribe, who's in influencer marketing. This adds value to my audience. It doesn't, just because I'm not talking doesn't mean it doesn't add value. I can be the gatekeeper. And it builds positive brand sentiment. They get a hit of dopamine when they watch it. And they trust me over the next LinkedIn marketer. So it works. And you know, positioning as well, because like everybody likes to talk about themselves. You can guarantee that most people like to talk about themselves. I've just started a, uh, another uh, podcast called the CMO Podcast, right? Because I'm, I'm like, how do I get some bigger clients? You know, chief marketing officers generally work for big companies. So instead of messaging them and going, hey, I want to help you with your LinkedIn marketing, I'm going, hey, I want to interview my, you on my podcast. So I've got Spotify, I've got Qantas, I've got like Dell, you know? All like, yeah, we'd love to do that, you know, but I'll build relationship with them before I sell to them.
Um, so this is, this is as basic as a content calendar needs to look like. It doesn't have to be complicated. It's got the day, sort of, you know, what video, what image. And so you'll notice down the bottom here, we've got posts. So these lists of videos all correspond with a, with a caption and a video, and it's all organized. It's all scheduled in advance. So it doesn't have to be overcomplicated. So if you've got 500 connections on LinkedIn, the value, like this is, and this is mainly to do with LinkedIn, unless you're using your Facebook personal account, the value is, is in your second degree network. You've got visibility over your client's potential referral network. When I was selling real estate back in the day in Thailand, and someone used to buy from me, like luxury pool villas, you know, they were buying from Sweden and Russia and Australia and Europe. I'd say, hey, you got any buddies that want to buy a house in Phuket? You know, write down two or three of their names on here and I'd give them a call, ref referrals, and every now and then someone would buy something. So it was, you know, a worthwhile strategy. So now I'm in business to business. We work with business to business companies, financial services companies, sales organizations, commercial companies. So when I have a client that's like, oh, Nathaniel, this is awesome. Like, and he's really happy with the way things are going. I look at all of his LinkedIn connections and I go, that guy would be perfect, that guy would be perfect, that guy. And when I, next time I go to see him, can you introduce me to these people? Because I've got full visibility over his network, so his entire network. So I can be very decisive. <laughs> like, so this is exactly what happens when you target second degree connections on LinkedIn, because you, you can do a search. I want you know, directors of financial services companies in Melbourne that, are, that know the same people I do. That's the low hanging fruit, so it's high value attention. I've been talking a lot about engagement pods recently. Has anybody heard of what these things are? So you join a community and they've got them on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and LinkedIn, and you post a link to your post in there every day, and everyone else in the group will come and like and comment on your post, and then you have to like and comment on everyone else's post. And so these guys are like getting 500, 600 likes every post they do, but you're a bit confused because you're like, what, the content's crap, like why, why are they getting so much engagement? In principle, it makes sense, like that strategy would make sense if the other people in the group were relevant and the content was valuable and their comments were valuable. I've been a member of one up until like a year ago. I did it for a while, like Australian marketers. And what I found was, I was getting a lot of engagement and um, less sales. And I was like, what, what's going on here? And I thought, oh, I'm teaching the algorithm to show my content to people that don't buy. Because it's not relevant to the other guys. And so I made the decision to leave the engagement pod my ego took a bit of a hit because I went from like 300 likes every post to like 30 or 40. But slowly, it built up organically with the right people. And now I, I, I don't know how many, I get more views now than ever, but it's because I'm posting more mainly. I'm getting 200,000 organic views a month and um, more sales than ever. Like, and they're sales from like international markets and stuff like that. I've noticed that it breaks the trust barrier. Like before the US and Canada never bought from me. Now it's like, oh wow, we got you on the phone. How, how, how can we be a client, you know? It's pretty powerful. The LinkedIn Insider program is something that I've just reignited. It's um, value in being part of a community of like-minded individuals that are doing the same sort of thing. And LinkedIn Insider traditionally was a 12 module training course. What I've done is I've, I mean, that's still part of it, but I've created a, a LinkedIn community of content creators. And rather than me like delivering training once and then, you know, letting it, um, letting people watch it forever in a day, because it just all, it's all just goes out of date. I do monthly webinars and I tell people exactly 
what content to post throughout the month. It might be um, why you started your business, an appreciation post, a key milestone, and then I show examples of other creators and stuff and things like that. These resources, by the way, are all available on our website, bbconsultinggroup.com.au. So these are our scripts, like these are the scripts out of generating $400 million worth in sales for our clients. These are the scripts that work the best. You can have them. Profile optimization checklist, the 18 steps that we go through when we optimize a LinkedIn profile. The template for the content calendar. Any of you seen this uh, Monday Night Live yet? So LinkedIn's introduced live video. I know not everyone's got it yet, but um, they're rolling it out. I decided four weeks ago to make a regular, consistent live show. And every week I've done it, so it's only not three weeks, the fourth week on Monday, the numbers have doubled. And I think if you look at like TV, what, what um, TV shows do the best? Generally it's live broadcast, isn't it? And on Facebook, we saw Facebook Live do really good. When you get LinkedIn Live, it would make sense to incorporate it in your strategy, especially if you do it consistently. That's a big difference is like, I don't see anyone else doing it consistently. They, they'll go live, but it's like a different time each week. So I think what's happening now is, is like people get to Monday night and they're like, oh, I wonder if Nathaniel's on, you know? <laughs> and they hop on and they can chat and I like might mention their chat or their question on the live. And it's quite short, it's like 15 minutes. And I normally like do a post earlier, earlier that says exactly what we're gonna talk about. So that's what I'll talk about next Monday. Social media creates conversations. Conversations build relationships and relationships, they should create sales. I mean, you have to know who your target audience is obviously for any of this to work. Um, but assuming you know who your target audience is, you just don't wanna go from social media to, to, to selling, you know? It's a social platform. It's very different to any other marketing we've done in the past. On the website, yes, have a call to action. And your AdWords, yes, have a call to action. People have searched for you, they have a need. They know that they have the problem already. They're not aware that they have the problem on social media. It's just one big cocktail party and you're going up and meeting people. So if you start selling to them, you're just gonna piss them off. Okay, bonus content. So that's content marketing, I think that's I think that's one of the most powerful things you could possibly do. And LinkedIn at the moment, you know, or the organic reach is, is ridiculous. It's crazy. Did you know that people are spending three times as much time on LinkedIn as they were 18 months ago? Three times as much. So that's a lot. And it's to do with LinkedIn serving the users better quality content. That's why people are spending more time on there. It's only going to get better. I thought that LinkedIn was going to go down the way that Facebook did and start showing more ads, and they haven't. You know, two years in, organic reach is still strong, which is really interesting because I wouldn't be surprised if they go a different way than the other social platforms and keep that attention. This, this is the process I've been using for the last six, seven years to generate return on investment for our clients. What I love about this process is you can measure return on investment very easily. This is a three-step process. So you find people in your target demographic to connect with in your second degree network. Send them customized connection requests. So you're being proactive. It makes a huge difference. If you have a thousand people that are exactly in your target audience in the right location that are decision makers, then, you, then if you have 20,000 people that added you and followed you because, because you decided, that's the only platform you can do that on. And then you send them a follow-up message to engage. You know, just because you're not selling to them in the first message doesn't mean you can't start a conversation with them offline. You can get their phone number and speak to them. You just have to have enough empathy to ask them a few questions to see if they got the problem and have an understanding that they might want to talk to you about something else as well. Quite often they'll, want, they'll probably you know, want to ask you questions to see if they can help you as well. 
That's totally fine. But I just think people have to frame it in the way that, that gives the value to the person they're sending it to first. In business to business, quite often there are partnership opportunities, right? Like, so if I'm a LinkedIn marketer, I could contact a Facebook marketer and perhaps we, we could refer each other clients. But if I write a message and say, hey, I'm just, I'd like to speak to you to see if you can refer me any clients and vice versa, he's gonna think, this guy just wants to sell to me. But if I say, I wanna to speak to you because I wanna refer you some clients and vice versa, it's the same thing. I've just worded it in the value, with, with the value to him first, and then he'll respond. It's a very subtle difference, but 99% of people get that wrong because they're just thinking about themselves all the time. And so, yeah, that's why I said at the start, you've got to make the decision to not be selfish because <laughs> you've got to have that mentality. As soon as you start that scarcity thing, where you're like, where's the money? Where's the return on investment? That's when you start making mistakes. And it comes across in your content. People can tell. And it just doesn't work on this, or not on this platform. If you want to do that, throw money into AdWords. If you've got three connections on LinkedIn and you do a search for your target audience, you might get 10 that meet the criteria. And people will say, oh, well, I've done, I've messaged all the 10, well, now what do I do? I've done everyone. But once you've connected with these guys, you do a search again, it gets bigger. It doesn't get smaller, the, the, the audience, because you can't see everyone on LinkedIn. You can only see people in your second degree and third degree network. So in fact, you need to build this up so that you can reach some of the you know, A-grade clients. If you connect with 3,000 dentists in Australia, when you do a search, you'll probably see like 150,000 dentists, you know, um, whereas if you've just got like a 10 or 20, you might see a few hundred of them. So you might think somebody's not on LinkedIn, but it's just probably that they're not in your network. Now, with this, this connection request stuff and sending messages and content, it's very important that your profile is written in the customer-centric language, but also has the value that you provide and the benefits. Because when somebody sends you a connection request and they don't talk about themselves, they talk about you, people are gonna be like, who's this guy? Click on your name, read your profile. It's a very subtle difference, but like that's an inbound activity. Just because they've clicked, they've asked for the information. Therefore, they're probably like more receptive to it than if you write it in your connection request or your message. So it's okay for, for you to create intrigue and not talk about yourself at all. Hey, I've looked at your profile, I'm really interested in what you do, I'd love to connect. I don't have to explain who I am or why. Whereas like on a cold call, you would, right? First thing you do, I'm calling from here, da, da, I don't want to talk to you about this. You don't have to do that on social media because they can click on your name and get the information. And it's, it's very powerful. So you've got to make sure your profile is written for them. The mistake a lot of people make is they do all of this and then people click on their name to read their profile and it's a version of their CV, a resume. You know, have you, has anyone ever bought anything because they've, someone's given them a copy of their CV before, <laughs> right? It's like one of the most boring, boring pieces of content you could provide somebody. And even worse than that, like people Google your name and they see your LinkedIn profile at the top of the search results. who are thinking about doing business with you. And all you've got is like a list of your job history and like, you know, the skills that you have and your job role. It's not just like the directors, it's also the, our employees as well. These are just some examples of how the um, numbers could work. Excuse me. Um, so, <coughs> Clarity Interiors do like commercial fit outs. We sent 241 connection requests over the course of a month. And from that, 183 people accepted. 75%, that's pretty high, like 50% is the average, but 183 new connections. So, we send them a message and say, you know, thank you for connecting had a look at your profile, interested in finding out more about what you do, see if there's opportunities to work together, 
75 people said, yeah, sure, let's have a chat. 41% conversion rate, 75 leads, so he could do that every month. But what you'll find is out of those 75, half of them will be like open to doing something now and half of them won't be. So it's just about qualifying them really quickly, like which ones are the ones that are ready now and which ones that aren't, without burning any bridges, because the ones that aren't will be ready down the track, it's just, just not now. So you want to make sure that you build a relationship with those guys. So the conversion rate on cold calling these days, on average, from calling to an appointment is 1%. So you call 100 people, you get one meeting. It's much higher on LinkedIn, if you do it properly. Most people don't do it properly. You know, it's, people spend tens of thousands of dollars on their websites and don't bother anything with it, their LinkedIn profile, but it needs to be in first person. So like the about section should be in first person. And within the first two sentences, you need to explain what it is you, that you do. And if you can, the unique value proposition, like why you're different. If you can explain why you do what you do, it's even better because when people know why you do what you do, they're more likely to trust you. Because like if you just write, we're a results driven, like, you know, customer focused, like it just, it, there's no trust yet. So they don't know whether or not you're bullshitting. Social proof is really important. If you can have lots of recommendations and endorsements on your LinkedIn profile, links to media, people look at your profile and, compared to the next person and you've got all that stuff and you've got the, you know, the banner and everything, you look like a lot more trustworthy. What works really well is you, you put something there that, that people will have in common with you. So if you target people in Melbourne, it makes sense to have a picture of the Melbourne skyline because they will, they will think familiarity, like it's like building rapport. It's very similar to a website. Like if you go to a well-written website, it will define the problem straight away when you get there. So do you mind if I use your business as an example? You know, are you looking for commercial cleaning? Are you frustrated with whatever it is that the other providers don't do as well as Rob does? And they go, oh yeah, that's me. Well, then we can help you this way. Here's what you need to do next. Guiding them through the customer journey. Asking them if they have the problem works really well. When you're outlining services, if you do do multiple things, like self-managed super funds and wealth management and financial advice, like put them in bullet points because people generally read the first two sentences, scan the rest of it, and then read the last two. And then if it's valuable, then they go back and read it again. So you just don't want to have all these blocks of text. Short sentences work really well because it's not because people are stupid. It's just because their attention span is so limited. You just want to make this as simple as that for them to consume the content as possible. You have to get over 500 plus connections. Very important. People will like to follow the crowds. Like it's very comfortable following the herd. That's just basically the way we've been brought up. And so you want to make sure that you get over that milestone relatively quickly. How many recommendations should you have? More than your competitors. Simple as that, really. I mean, just get as many relevant ones as you can. Yeah, yeah, I, I think you, you're 100% right. Like it's, it's still relatively new, so you're not getting like all these extra eyeballs. But it's not as simple as just whether, whether or not people follow the hashtag. Like LinkedIn will be looking at relevancy. So they'll be thinking, okay, he follows this hashtag and he you know, follows this person, this person, this person who's in that, that area. Because what they're trying to do is they're trying to expose your content to people that will be of value to you. They're actually doing you a favor. They're trying to give your business what it needs. And so they know that if they show you, if you're a social media agency and somebody's like following a lot of social media stuff, that that's more valuable to you than somebody else. So, so like it all helps, but all, what's, um, I think it was really important to keep in mind with hashtags on LinkedIn is it's the only way that you can access a library of content. So like on Instagram, you go to somebody's page and there's the library of content, all the images. Whereas on LinkedIn, it's not like that. You go there and it's a profile. So the only way that you can access like a whole bunch of content is if you create a brand specific hashtag and then you click on it and then you can see all of the posts. 
So I've got hashtag AskNat, which is the question and answers series. And I've got hashtag LinkedIn Heroes. You can see all my interviews from the past and they still get engagement because people will click on it and, and re, um, have a look at previous episodes. And to be honest, like if you don't have people looking at your content from back in the day, it'll just disappear. Like LinkedIn don't just keep it there forever. If it's not getting any views, it'll just disappear off cyberspace altogether. So I read this um, business plan for this, when it's the second round of capital raising, and it's, it's basically we're going to create this Rolodex of CVs, people are going to use it to get talent. And then what's happened since then is they're like, oh, salespeople are using it, oh, marketers are using it. Now that's a bigger market than recruiters. So they created these tools to try and cater for this market. And what they did is they thought, well, we'll charge them to message people that they don't know, right? And it, we'll put it in a different section. It'll be like a mar email marketing message. So like it does, it's not as effective. I, when they released Sales Navigator, I, well, I bought the recruiter license. It was like $15,000 a year. So I thought, yeah, messaging people I don't know, that's gotta be great, right? And so I sent 5,000 emails out and I got two to 3% conversion rate. So if I connect with somebody first and then send them a message, it's 15% conversion rate. So I was like, well, I was t telling people not to buy Sales Navigator because you're gonna get worse results. Now it's better because they've restricted what you can do with a free account. So you can, you've got more search features, you can, you can hit more accounts. I always tell people, you've gotta be developing a return on investment first and then you'll, see, you'll soon see the limitations and then you'll upgrade. Because unless you're hitting any limitations, upgrading to Sales Navigator is not gonna just transform your results like that. That's not the way it works at all. It just gives you more targeting capabilities and you know, can reach more people. It gives you scalability. Yeah. It depends on the size of the business as well because if you could get more exposure through the company page if you've got a big team. And quite often, like let's remember that our personal profile generally has more connections than our company page. But generally people do want to engage with individuals. But the way I think of it is you make the personal profile about your content and you make the company profile about your customers. But you can do it any way you like. It's just you've got to have a strategy. Posting the same stuff on both channels doesn't make any sense. So corporate stuff could be where you do all of your updates about, you know, if you're in construction, the construction updates and stuff. Like you won't get as much engagement, but that's important for your clients to see, I guess. You know, um, and you can sponsor that content if you want to as well. On your personal profile, you can talk about things that people re relate to. It does not have to do anything. It doesn't have to be about your business. It doesn't have to be about your business at all. It could be about what movie you watched on the weekend. It's probably better if it's not about your business because it will relate to more people. It just has to give them that d d exposure. You're building trust with them. That's why people talk about the successful content creators. You see them talk about relationships and self-awareness and what they believe about success, what it means to them and all this sort of stuff. Because if somebody sees it and they relate to it, they're building rapport. It doesn't have to be about your business at all. Real estate agents would, be, would do fantastic if they never talked about real estate. <laughs> you know? A mix. Actually, LinkedIn have said like, that they give preference to people that do a variety of different content types because they don't want people hacking the algorithm. So it's like somebody finds a way to hack the video thing and then they just do that. LinkedIn go, oh no, but they're not doing the articles and the images as well and we're not gonna give them as much reach. They're, but they're changing this all the time. Like they've got a whole engineering website which they keep up to date it. Like I, I try to keep up to date with it, but they've got a lot of people trying to give the user a good experience. So the way I think of it, I'll just simplify it. I just think, well, what's their goal? To give the user a good experience. Let's try and do the same thing. And then you're aligned with the platform. You can't really lose. You know, like when I was started in SEO 10 years ago, I got a website at the top of Google, like all these backlinks, right? Backlink strategy. 
And then Google did something I never heard of called an algorithm update. And I was like on page 100, because I didn't align with the platform's objective. So obviously they're gonna get smarter. Like Instagram, you know, you buy all your followers, you buy all your likes. Eventually, Instagram is gonna get smart enough to know that that's not real. And so they're not gonna show you to as many people. And so you lose in the long run. Like you might make some money as an influencer for, for a year or two, but it just won't last because the audience isn't real. You wanna have, you wanna build relationships. You don't just want like this massive audience on LinkedIn that if LinkedIn disappears, it's gone. That's, that's not the good point. You know, and it's not about just getting them on other social channels. It's just about actually creating a real relationship. Like, a, you know, this, this sort of thing is perfect. I mean, I get to meet people that I know online, offline, and now we know each other. It's a very different dynamic. The live things, uh, for me, is like, it's a little bit new. I've never really been one to do the selfie thing and talk to a camera because I felt, feel uncomfortable. I feel weird doing it. Um, but I film these talks where I'm talking to people and it works really well. Uh, this will be chopped up into 25, 30 bits of content straight away, easily, which is, you know, creates so much more value than, than just, you know, doing the live thing. So it, if you can, like, put it into your day-to-day -day routine, what you're already doing, it's, it's awesome. I think video is absolutely fantastic. The fact that we can all do it on telephone is amazing. The quality is really good. Um, one bit of, piece of advice I have with the video stuff is, like, when I started, because I was... My confidence was relatively low. I like invested all this time and energy in my intro video, right? And so like, it's like, you know, me walking down St Kilda with my sunglasses on and then I'm interviewing this guy and I'm speaking from stage and there's music going and everything. I'm like, that's awesome. Yeah, I'll put that in front of my videos. That'll be cool, right? <laughs> Everyone just stopped watching like halfway through the intro video. No one gives a shit. It's like, they just want to get the content, right? I thought it looked awesome. I still do think it looks awesome, but the audience doesn't. <laughs> You know, so you don't want to get hung up on like having it overproduced or anything like that. Even with these, um, when I get a professional videographer here, there's specifically asked for no lighting. Because as soon as you put lighting in, it's like, it looks like it's overproduced. And people don't want to watch overproduced stuff on social media. That's not why they're there. They'll go to the cinema to watch that stuff. Very, well, it was very timely for me, um, just with where I'm at on a personal level, personal branding and how that actually relates to LinkedIn and the type of content that I uh, am in intending to, to put out. Um, I've been very ad hoc with my activity um, and have made it a, a point for 2020 to actually um, be more consistent, but I just didn't know what to do. And I didn't know, go, didn't know how to go about it. Didn't know what I thought my audience wanted to see. And Nathaniel was accurately and very quickly able to demonstrate uh, and explain what that was. So now there's a lot less questions that I've got as, as a business owner and as a person. Um, and I feel that there's definitely things that I can communicate to, to the audience that's actually relevant to them um, that will then in turn let them know a little bit about who I am. Great, so you've definitely got some value out of Heaps, yeah, definitely recommended. Thanks so much for coming. Pleasure, thank you.